Right. You know that Jesus Christ, he can bring to you living water. That is eternal life, full joy. You know, many people, they are drinking from the wrong well today. They try and quench the thirst of their soul with all the things of this world, money and power and pleasure, earthly relationships. But like this woman, they're still thirsty. Mel Trotter was born in 1870 to a bartender who drank. Well, he drank as much as he served. Mel also, like his dad, ruined his life through this horrible addiction. He had hoped for some relaxation from the tensions of life through alcohol. Uh, but because of that alcohol addiction, he lost one job after another. At the age of 27, he said, I went home after being drunk for 10 days, and I found my little two-year-old baby boy dead in my wife's arms. I'll never forget that day. I was a slave, and I knew it. Feeling responsible for his son's death, Mel thought about ending his own life. As he stood over the coffin of his little baby boy, he vowed that he would never touch alcohol again and yet two hours later he was totally drunk he hopped the train to Chicago he sold his shoes to buy another drink and there he was drunk broke and shoeless in the snow the spirit of God led him to the Pacific Garden Mission where Mel heard a message that God loved him, that Jesus Christ the Savior died for him, that he rose again, and that he offered a different kind of drink, living water, forgiveness, eternal life, and Mel Trotter was saved. He began drinking that living water from Jesus Christ. And you know what happened? His thirst for alcohol, it just faded away. Mel began sharing his story. Soon he was asked to become the director of a rescue mission in Grand Rapids, Michigan. It became the largest rescue mission in the United States of America. He and his brothers then helped start 67 rescue missions across the United States. You see what happened is Jesus Christ quenched his thirst. He can do the same for you. Now, here in John chapter 4, it was one of those hot, dusty travel days, and Jesus was weary from the journey. Verse 6, Jesus was there by divine appointment to meet a lonely woman. Who is the woman at the well? Well, she was a Samaritan. In Jesus' day, the Jewish people, they actually shunned the Samaritans right there in the middle of the country, uh, viewing them as a mixed race of half Jew and half Gentile. The Samaritans, they had a religion. They still have it to this day. They practiced a religion that was a mixture of Judaism and a mixture of idol worship from the Assyrians. Jews despised Samaritans and vice versa. Now, Jesus is going to tell her that the, the true worshipers of God, they worship in spirit 
and they worship in truth. We find that in verse 24. In spirit. That's not the Holy Spirit. That's our spirit. God is a spirit. And we are to worship him in spirit. That is from the deepest part of our soul. It is to be with wholehearted enthusiasm. It is with all of your inner being. In spirit and in truth. If you don't worship according to God's truth. You're not worshiping God. You're worshiping a figment of your imagination. You're worshiping a fairy tale. The God of the universe is the God of the Bible, and we worship according to his truth. So what you have is the Samaritans on one hand, uh, they are worshiping with spirit but without truth. They were enthusiastic heretics, as you see in your notes. And then the Jews, they had truth, but they worshiped without spirit, and they had nothing but dead doctrine. So who is the woman of the well? Well, she was a Samaritan. Number two, she was an outcast. Yes, she was an outcast and even looked down on by her own people. She came to the well alone in the heat of the day. In those days, women came together to the community well to draw water. Why? It was a social highlight of a woman's day. It was a time to chit-chat. This was their Facebook. I mean, they came together, they drew water, they filled up their water pots, they talked, they chatted about family, about the kids, about husband, about events of life. But this woman is ostracized. She's marked as immoral. She had been married five times. And now she is unmarried and living openly with number six. Who is the woman of the well? She was guilt-ridden. She changed husbands like she changed clothes. She thought that intimacy with a man would bring her happiness. It did not. She thought the new guy would bring her joy. He did not. She could remember the younger days of purity and innocence. But one bad step, one bad decision led to another and another and another. 10,000 times she wished she could be pure and holy again. Oh, to be washed clean from her sin. But shame and sin and guilt... It brought this deep loneliness to her soul. She did her best to escape her guilty conscience. Even when Jesus offered her living water, which meant eternal life, she did not understand her need of it. She attempted to quench her spiritual thirst with the things of this world. You know, it didn't work then, and it does not work today. To one degree or another, we are all like the woman of the well. We've all stepped into the ocean of sin. Now, you can't drown in ankle-deep water, can you? But sin is fun. I mean, even Hebrews acknowledges, the book of Hebrews says that sin has pleasure for a season. Moses chose to suffer the affliction with the people of God rather than to enjoy the what? The pleasures of sin for a season, Hebrews eleven twenty-five, And so we venture deeper and deeper into the pleasures of sin. I mean, it could be immorality, it could be alcohol use, drug use, it could be pornography, gambling, lying, stealing, or as Paul says, and such like, whatever your sin is, pride or gossip or greed. 
then we begin to justify it. We say things like, well, you know it's okay. I mean, after all, it's legal. I mean, isn't everybody doing it? I'm not hurting anyone. You know, I did it, and God didn't seem to care. I didn't get any spankings or chastisements from God, so it must, must be okay with God. And before you know it, uh, like, you, like you see here, the, the, the rip current begins to, to pull you out. You start in the ankle-deep water, and then you're having fun, and you go a little bit deeper and deeper, and then pretty soon you can barely touch, and then the rip current pulls you, and it pulls you out into the deep. Do you know that 100 people die every year from rip currents? They thought they were stronger than the current, but they weren't. But worse than the, the 100 people that die that way, every year millions give themselves into addictive lifestyles. And every day they tell themselves, I'm strong enough to stop on my own. But they're not. They're not. And whether you're a Christian or learning how to become a Christian, you may be feeling the rip current of sin pull you farther and farther away from God, farther and farther away from your family, farther and farther away from godly friends. Oh, your fake friends will be there to party with you. But no matter what they say today, fake friends will abandon you tomorrow. But deep in your heart, uh, you already knew that, didn't you? And so be careful because more people die from the addictive lifestyles of sin than from the hundred people that die drowning from the rip current. Get help. Get help this week. Come to God. Call a pastor. Call a godly friend. Don't wait. Now, Jesus is going to help this woman discover her need of a savior. She thought her need was physical water, H2O. Uh, she thought she just needed the felt need, the physical need to be met. But her real need was the forgiveness of her sins deep in her soul. Her need was to have a relationship with God. How did Jesus help her to discover her need of forgiveness? Jesus simply asked her, call your husband and bring him here to me. She said, I have no husband. Jesus revealed that he knew the secrets of her heart. He said, you're right. You're right. You said you have no husband. You have no husband. But you've had five, and the man that you're living with now is not your husband. You know what he did? He lovingly exposed her sin. And then she acknowledges that God needs to be in her life but she's confused and so she says hey hey my ancestors say we're to worship here in mount garrison but your ancestors say we're supposed to worship here in jerusalem and jesus responds your problem is not where to worship verse 21 but your problem is who to worship the true god and so we see she was a samaritan and she was an outcast she was guilt-ridden number four she was a woman. You say, well, that's kind of obvious, but don't miss what's happening here. To us, this picture of Jesus talking with a woman does not seem strange to us, but oh, it was. You see, the culture of the first century put women at a very low level. Now, the Jews did better than the Gentiles, uh, but many considered a woman property. 
She was the property of her father. She was the property of her husband. And then she was finally the property of her son when she was widowed. It was actually a common daily Jewish prayer. You can look it up and see it. Uh, a prayer of the Pharisees. And they said in the morning, Blessed art thou, O God, ruler of the universe. I want to thank you, God, for not making me a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. Uh, women were at the bottom of the social ladder. It, as I said, it was worse for the Gentile women. A woman was not to speak to a gathering of men in public. A woman was not to eat in the same room with a gathering of men. She could not worship with the men. Women were segregated uh, from men in the synagogue. In fact, in the temple in Jerusalem, they had their own court, the court of women. But then, then comes Jesus. He not only cares for her, a Samaritan, he cares for her, an outcast. He comes to her, a guilt-ridden sinner. He comes to her, a woman. Jesus had a special ministry to women. Not only was, was she surprised that he talked to her, but verse 27 says, when the disciples returned, they marveled that he talked with the woman. I'm saying to you today that he doesn't care what the societal norms are. Jesus Christ, uh, he spoke to her because he cared for her. I mean, this would have been a, a scandalous topic for the tabloids. Jesus has this special ministry to women. He was supportive. He was considerate. He was caring of women, especially those who needed extra help. I mean, women with a painful past like this lady. Uh, women who were demonically controlled like Mary Magdalene. Uh, women with a crippling disease. Jesus just went against the grain of acceptable religious practices. Instead of limiting his teaching to the men-only portion of the synagogue, Jesus took his teaching out and about. He took his teaching out where women could have a front row seat, places like a hillside, in the marketplace, beside a well, and in Jerusalem, in the court of women at the temple. I mean, he even used illustrations that women would readily identify with. Uh, a lost coin, yeast rising in bread, a neighbor, a knocking at the door at midnight. In the Gospels, the, the ladies who followed Jesus are some of his best students. They are some of his most dynamic disciples. In fact, Jesus appeared uh, to a woman after his resurrection first. His disciples, they got the message. And so through scripture, they have elevated women to the respected and honored position that they deserve. And that influence has filtered all the way down to 2020. Listen to what the Apostle Paul wrote in Galatians 3. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus. We're all on the same level spiritually when we come to Christ. Now that was written by a former Pharisee who used to pray that silly prayer, God, thank you that I'm not a Gentile slave or woman. And under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul wrote that we are one in Christ and in the exact order correcting that old way of thinking. It's pretty amazing. 
June or Greek. Uh, I thank you, God, that I'm not a Gentile, bond or free. I thank you that I'm not a slave, uh, male nor female. I thank that I'm not a woman. Pretty amazing. Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. I want to share one more thing about the woman at the well. But first, I want you to see a dramatic video of this encounter. Now, I have permission from the series called The Chosen to share this with you. Now, if you uh, have a, uh, a tissue nearby, you need to get it out. <laughs> you just may need it. I did twice. Watch. Give me a drink. Did you hear me? That's bad, huh? What? You, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan, and a woman. I'm sorry. I should have said please. You know, it's not safe for you to be alone out here. Nor you. Why haven't you come with others? Why so late in the day? Don't women come to the wells in the, the cool of the morning? Yeah, well, none of them will be seen with me, so I have to come out new in the heat, as you have so kindly reminded me. Why won't they be seen with you? Long story. I, I'd still like a drink of water if you can spare it. Amazing what a parched throat will do. Aren't I unclean to you? Won't you be defiled by this vessel? Maybe some of my people say that about your women, but I don't. Yeah? And what do you say? I say if you knew who I am, you'd be asking me for a drink. Really? And I would give you living water. Would. Except that you have nothing to draw water with, and this is a deep well. Besides, what do you need from me if you have your own supply of living water? Wrong story. But Jewish water is better than Samaritan water. Hmm? That's not what I said. Are you a better man than our ancestor Jacob, who dug this well? Your water is better than his? I know Jacob. And everyone who drinks this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. Wouldn't that be nice? The water I give will become in a person a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Really? Yes, really. Prove it. First, go and call your husband and come back. I will show you both. I don't have a husband. You are right. You've had five husbands. And the man you're living with now is not your husband. <laughs> oh, I see. You're a prophet. You're here to preach at me. No. Usually the one good thing about coming here alone is I can escape being condemned. I'm not here to condemn you. I've made mistakes. Too many. But it's men like you who have made it impossible for me to do anything about it. How? Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain. But you Jews insist Jerusalem is the only place for true worship. They say that because the temple is there. Yeah. 
Exactly when we're not allowed. I'm here to break those barriers. And the time is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. So, where am I supposed to go when I need God? I've never received anything from God, but I couldn't thank him even if I did. Anywhere. God is spirit. And the time is coming and is now here that it won't matter where you worship, but only that you do it in spirit and truth. Heart and mind, that, that is the kind of worshiper he's looking for. It won't matter where you're from or what you've done. Do you believe what I'm telling you? Until the Messiah comes and explains everything and sorts this mess out, including me, I don't trust in anyone. You're wrong when you say that you've never received anything from God. This Messiah you speak of, I am he. The first one was named Ramin. You were a woman of purity who was excited to be married. But he wasn't a good man. He hurt you. And it made you question marriage and even the practice of your faith. Stop it. The second was Farzad. On your wedding night, his skin smelled like oranges. And to this day, every time you pass by the oranges in the market, you feel guilty for leaving him because he was the only truly godly man you've been with. But you felt unworthy. Why are you doing this? I have not revealed myself to the public as the Messiah. You are the first. It would be good if you believed me. You picked the wrong person. I came to Samaria just to meet you. <laughs> Do you think it's an accident that I'm, I'm here in the middle of the day? I am rejected by others. I know. But not by the Messiah. <sighs> and you know these things. Because you are the Christ. I'm going to tell everyone. I was counting on it. <laughs> Spirit and truth. Spirit and truth. It won't be all about mountains or temples. Soon. Just the heart. You promise. I promise. This man told me everything I've done. Oh, he must be the Christ! <laughs> <laughs> hey, wait! <laughs> your water! You forgot your um. Papsi, your man, you told me everything I ever did!
Oh, you really need to watch the whole thing. It's free for you to look at, look up the chosen under VidAngel. This is what Jesus Christ does for us. He restores our relationship with God. It is broken. Sin has broken our connection with God. We are dead in sin, and Jesus deals with that sin. He deals with our sin. In John chapter 3, he said to Nicodemus, he said, Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. Deeds are evil. Verse 19. You can't come into a right relationship with God unless you're going to deal with your sin. How? How do you do that? What Jesus, he led her to confess her sin. He is not a savior unless there is something to save us from. And that's why he came into the world, not just to feed the hungry, that's a good thing, and not just to help us to be nice and kind to our enemies, and that's a good thing. No, no, no. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. That's me and that's you. Now watch, watch. What happens when you get saved? What happens when you get saved, like this woman, you leave your water pot behind to tell others about Jesus. The water pot, whatever is important to you in this world, whether it be sports or academics or money or power or pleasure, they just aren't that important when you put it beside sharing what Jesus has done for you. And that brings me to my last and most important point. This woman, she grew closer to God when she was alone because when she was alone, she met Jesus Christ. She received him as her own Savior. The Messiah, the Savior, died for our sins and rose again from the dead. And so number five, she became a joy-filled proclaimer. She couldn't keep it in. She had to tell everyone, people she knew, people she didn't know. Remember, she was an outcast. Remember, she was a loner. Remember, she, uh, she was uh, despised. And then this transformation was so dramatic. Her witness was so dynamic. And so uh, watch what happens next. We find it in verse 30. Uh, then they went out of the city and came unto him and so as they come out they cross paths verse 39 and many of the samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman which testified he told me all that ever i did so when the samaritans were come unto him they besought him that he would tarry with them and he abode there two days and many more believed because of his own word people came to christ People got saved because of her testimony. People came to uh, investigate Jesus, and many more got saved. Would you watch it again? Watch it again, just the end of that clip. You picked the wrong person. I came to Samaria just to meet you. <laughs> Do you think it's an accident that I'm, I'm here in the middle of the day? I am rejected by others. I know. Not by the Messiah. And you know these things because you are the Christ. I'm going to tell everyone. I was counting on it. <laughs> Spirit and truth. Spirit and truth. It won't be all about mountains or temples. Soon, just the heart. <laughs> you promised. 
I promise. This man told me everything I've done. Oh, he must be the Christ! <laughs> Wait! Your water! You forgot your um. Foxy, oh man, you told me everything I ever did! You know, Jesus was counting on her. And Jesus is counting on me, and he's counting on you to tell others what he has done for you. So what can you do? What can you do during this pandemic? Well, let me tell you what Hank and Bev Beach are doing. Uh, they walk in their neighborhood every day, and now they meet with neighbors. They've been doing it for weeks. They meet on the sidewalk at 4 o'clock every afternoon, and what do they do? They pray. Uh, they pray for healing. They pray for our country. But let me tell you, can you guess who prays a witness for Jesus Christ when he prays? Yes, that would be Brother Brother Beach. How about Mark and Lisa Grubb? They printed a postcard inviting friends and neighbors to watch online services. I was so inspired that we are designing our own postcards and we'll print up 3,000 and we'll have them available uh, there by the bookstore in the airlock there, uh, the breezeway for you to pick up and you can do what Mark and Lisa do and you can just mail it out to others. And then here's a thank you letter from Einstein Hospital, the uh, young couples class they took up an offering uh, to buy pizza for the ER staff. And others, ABS, have done the same thing. I'm telling you, we can shine as lights in the darkness. It takes just one candle uh, to be able to dispel the darkness. We all can do something. We all can do something. So I've taken my gospel presentation from our website, and it now has its own website, www.myrelationshiptogod.com Last year, Donna Meltzi, on a Wednesday night, she went to the website, she watched it, she prayed, she asked Jesus Christ to become her Savior. She got baptized, she joined the church. I'm telling you, it works, and you can share it with others. Share it with others. What did Jesus do for the woman at the well? Saved her soul, gave her a relationship with the living God. He can do the same for you. And then we tell others. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for this wonderful event. Thank you that we who are Christians, who are saved, will meet this woman in heaven and hear her tell her story. And now, Father, I pray that each one of us that have a story to tell, that we will tell it. We will look for unique ways during the pandemic, whether it's a postcard, whether it's a post, uh, whether it's a, a witness through a text or an email. God, use us to testify, to be a bold and dynamic and exuberant, joy-filled proclaimer as this woman was. And I want to ask you, if you're not sure that heaven's your home, do what this woman did. Do what I did. Do what everyone has done. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He says, I am the door to God. Call upon him right now, and you can become a Christian right where you're seated. Would you just bow your head? Would you acknowledge that you need forgiveness and receive Jesus? Pray with me right now. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. I ask you to forgive me of all of my sins. 
I believe Jesus died for me and rose again. Please come into my heart and become my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. I trust that it is your burden to see God work again and afresh in our country in, in many ways. But I, the message that I want to bring to you, if you turn to Luke chapter 10, Luke chapter number 10, uh, this is one that's going, once you get there, it's going to be familiar to many, if not most of you. And it's an account here that I think has some impact. It has some uh, real application to our country and our nation today. And I, I hope this will stir your heart. It's not going to be too terribly long. Uh, they, studies have shown that the online attention span, because people are drinking their coffee and sometimes doing three or four things at once with their smartphones or laptops or whatever, uh, attention spans about half what it would be if we were in a normal situation when it comes to preaching and teaching. So I'll try to keep that in mind. But Luke chapter 10, verse number 38. I think this is a vital, vital principle here that is applicable for us all the time, but certainly certainly as it has to do with us during these times. Now it came to pass, verse 38, as they went, that he, that's Jesus, entered into a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. I want to point out something there. In fact, let's pray first, and then we'll get into this. Dear Lord, I thank you for the truth of your word. I thank you for uh, the fact that we can put our faith and trust in your word, and we never have to be worried. We never have to be afraid. We never have to be uh, second-guessing what your word says. And in a time of confusion, in a time when a lot of people are, are just having such trouble and are driven by fears, Lord, we can place our faith and trust in who you are and what your word is. So, Lord, I pray in these minutes that we have that you would encourage our hearts, strengthen us through your word. In your name I pray, amen. So, it says here that Jesus, uh, and with his disciples, etc., he wanted to visit some of his friends. Isn't that amazing to think that Jesus Christ, the God of the universe, had friends it's amazing. Other places we see that Jesus says, I don't call you servants anymore, I call you friends. Jesus had friends. Mary, Martha, and we'll learn later on, Lazarus, the younger brother, were his friends. He loved going to Bethany and seeing them. Just, just spending time with them, fellowshipping with them, having a bite to eat, right? I mean, uh, that all comes together with the fellowship, and, and now he gets to go there. And in fact, I think Martha was the oldest. Why? Because it says that she received him into her house. Very interesting there. It wasn't owned by Lazarus, it looks like. It wasn't owned by Mary, it looks like. It was owned by Martha. Maybe she was the firstborn. We can't prove that definitively, but certainly the text indicates that she had the kind of the authority there. And I think that's interesting. We'll see that play in here in a little bit. Verse 39, And she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. So what's she doing? She's spending time with Jesus. She's spending time with Jesus. You know, I believe that the greatest thing that we need nowadays is to spend time with Jesus. Mary was listening to him. 
Uh, it, it specifically says, heard his word. Now, does that mean she didn't ask anything? She didn't say hi or anything? I, I think it's safe to assume there would be some conversation there. But the important thing to take away from this is that she was spending time with the Lord. How about you? Are you spending time with the Lord? But Martha, verse 40, was cumbered about much serving and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bitter therefore that she helped me. Now this is understandable here. Martha is, is cumbered about, the Bible says. I always think of a cucumber that has nothing to do with it. <laughs> right? uh, cumbered about, what does that mean? We don't really talk like that anymore. Oh, I just feel so cumbered about today. But it's a wonderful word. This, this word uh, has the idea of dragging something with you everywhere. So, I mean, uh, any of you who uh, have had your shoes untied for any length of time, you would know that feeling when it catches on something and, and you trip or it's, you know, uh, 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 you are cumbered about in the sense that you're dragging something around. Maybe your arms are full of groceries and, and something, you trip over something, you get tangled up in a rope or some plaything the kids left out and, and you can't get your balance because you're carrying all this stuff and you're dragging it around, right? Uh, I think there used to be a show, it's probably still on, I don't watch it if it's still on, but America's Funniest Home Videos. When I was growing up in, in the late 80s and 90s, I don't remember when they started that show, but I remember a lot of the comic uh, uh, impact a lot of the comedy in the in the shows in the videos that people would send in are people tripping or falling or you know that type of thing right cumbered about she is dragging something around with her and it's going to bother her it already is bothering her and one more thing is going to be added to the mix friend do you suffer from being cumbered about are you dragging doubts around with you? Are you dragging worries around with you? Oh, what am I going to do with my kids? What if they can't go back to school? What if uh, I'm not a good enough teacher? What if, what if they get sick? What if they get this virus? What if, what if somebody dies? What if, uh, what if I don't know where the food's going to come from? What if I don't know where the money's going to come from? What if, I mean, all these things. I don't know when you might be watching this, but maybe some of these worries have passed by, and if they have, I mean, that can be a good thing, but I'd encourage you to remember when you were in the middle of the worst of it and you had the fear and you had the worry you were cumbered about. Now, it's natural to assume here that I mean, th this is a natural thing to go through. She's probably the oldest. I don't know how many of you are the oldest uh, sibling. I'm an oldest. I'm married uh, into a family of seven kids. My wife is the oldest of those seven kids. Uh, she and I are both oldests, and um, oldests tend to be worriers. At least they can tend that way. Now, my wife doesn't worry a whole lot. I tend to a lot, but some of that has to do with a feeling of responsibility where you feel like you're responsible for them. And so, sure, Mary can take the time because Martha's serving. Lazarus, who knows where he is? He's out playing around or whatever he's doing, you know, playing tag. Who knows how old or young he was? But I've got to be here. I've, I'm responsible. If no one else does this, I've got to do it. Do you have that kind of attitude? That, by the way, that's not necessarily a bad thing in and of itself. 
We'll see that here in a moment. But I will tell you this, that if you have a high sense of responsibility, that's not a bad thing, but it can also be a trap because then you can start feeling like you're responsible for the decisions of others. She is now feeling like Mary should have made a different choice. Now, obviously, it's so that she could help her in the kitchen or whatever she's doing, serving, right? So that's understandable, but see, she now is, okay, what about Mary? What's Mary supposed to be doing? And sometimes those of us who have that sense of responsibility, again, which is not necessarily a bad thing in and of itself, it can set us up for issues where now we've got to worry about everybody else. She's cumbered about. Lord, dost thou not care? How about that? She's asking Jesus if he cares. What about that hymn? Does Jesus care? Right? Oh, yes, he cares. I know he cares. My heart is touched by, his heart is touched by my grief. What a silly thing to ask, does Jesus care? Of course he cares. And they were friends. She ought to have known better. But sometimes when we get cumbered about, sometimes when we get frustrated, sometimes when we are so busy and we're so busy serving and doing good things, we can even ask silly questions like this. Lord, do you even care? Yes, he cares. He knows everything that's going on in your life, friend. Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things. So she's cumbered. She's also careful. What does that mean? That means full of care. Now, we think of the word careful to mean cautious now, but in context, in history, okay, when this would have been written, etc., careful meaning full of care. Actually makes sense if you think about it. I like to think of a cup that is absolutely filled to the brim with some sort of Coke, like Coca-Cola. I, uh, I'm originally from Michigan, but I moved to the South, and everyone calls it Coke here. So what kind of Coke do you want? You know, I'd be like, well, Coke, right? <laughs> what kind of Coke do you want? I want a Pepsi. Well, that's not a Coke. It doesn't make, doesn't make sense, but I've learned to just kind of accept it, right? <laughs> but you know, so whatever your soft drink is of choice, maybe it's Verner's, if you know anything about Michigan, okay? Maybe it's Verner's, right? Whatever, but you get that filled to the top, and you, you can put some ice in it usually where the ice is actually sticking up over the sides of the glass. Now, it looks great, and, and it's time to sip it, right? It's time to do it. But if you wait too long and the ice melts, well, it's so full that when the ice melts in a solid form, it doesn't give you any trouble because it can stick up over the edge of the glass. But when it melts, it causes the liquid to, to spill over. It's just super full. It's over full. It's overflowing. She is overflowing with care. She is, such, she is right on the edge so that the littlest thing that comes along and bumps into her is going to spill. It's going to cause her to spill over on, onto somebody else. Are you like that? Do you feel like that? Do you feel like you have had it up to here? Jesus knows. He says, I know, you, you're careful and you're troubled. That idea of troubled is, is, uh, is irritated. Is, is, uh, it's like when the angel would come down and trouble the water there, right? It's, uh, you know, he would move the water around and troubled, you know, instead of a peaceful, uh, 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 you know, lake that's undisturbed and like a mirrored reflection. Instead of looking like that, it's agitated. 
you know, in our laundry machines, in most of the ones that I'm familiar with, I guess they have ones that don't have this, but there's something called an agitator. What's the agitator? It's that spindle that's got the fins on it that moves around so it agitates the clothes so it will get them clean because it causes something to happen, right? Agitated. She's agitated. She's not at peace. But what does he say in verse 42? I want you to point out, he doesn't say serving is wrong. I've heard some people come to this passage and almost treat it like serving is wrong. Like, oh, you've served too much. You just need, you know, servings, uh, 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 you just need to settle down and don't be service oriented. Well, we've got to be careful. We've got to be balanced, right? Balance is such a good word. But he doesn't criticize her for having a servant spirit because that's really not what's going on here. What does he point out? But one thing is needful. And Mary hath chosen that good part, which shall not be taken away from her. But one thing is needful. Four words there. So it looks like five. Well, one, you'll see thing is italicized. That just means that it's, it's supplied there by the translators. I'm grateful for it. It's good. It's a- absolutely. Uh, but one thing is one word there. Okay? So, but one thing is needful. If you peel apart those four words in order, what's that first word? The first word is but. That word is a conjunction, but it is a word that causes a distinction. You know, right? In our stories. Well, he was riding down the road, but then you're expecting, oh, what's going to happen? Uh, your child comes to you with their report card. I got an A in science. You want to say, but, right? Lay the rest on me. <laughs> it's a word that tells us we need to sit up and pay attention. Something else is going on here. We're supposed to pay attention, but Jesus is saying, look, Martha. There's this, you're troubled, you're careful, you're cumbered about, these things are going on in your life, but, listen, wake up, stop for a moment. You know, one of these, one of the advantages, if we choose to make it so, because it's not automatically this way, but if we choose to make it so, one of the advantages of what's going on right now in our lives and uh, everything that's going on around us, we have been forced to stop. Now, what we were doing before wasn't necessarily wrong, taking the kids to soccer practice or basketball or baseball or whatever it is and running a mile a minute, right? Just, just go with it like chickens with their heads cut off, you know? Hey, we've been forced to stop. We've been forced to slow down. We've been forced to hopefully take stock of what our lives are. But hang on. Have you stopped and considered? Have you spent time with the Lord? It's so easy in our lives to skip over that. <laughs> Last week, uh, I've been trying to do more devotions with the family and uh, also giving my two oldest sons an opportunity to bring some devotionals. They both want to learn how to preach and how to teach Bible lessons and such, and so this is a great opportunity for them to do that. And uh, would you, this is kind of interesting, but 
it seems like we've almost been more busy during the quarantine times than before then because we've been recording services and special music and I'm working on a new solo album for people uh, and so uh, uh, there's just so many things going on right well uh, there, uh, my oldest son was supposed to give a devotional supposed to bring a devotional one of the days and so many things got in the way that it got pushed off several days right and I'm disappointed about that I'm not proud of that but that's what happens isn't it listen but sit up take stock pay attention is there something that needs to change then what one thing is needful what is that one thing in other words, this is the hub. This is the center of the wheel. This is, you know, you remember riding a bicycle, right? Maybe some of you have gotten that old bike out to get some exercise, to get out of the house or whatever it is. But that wheel, it's got one hub in the middle. Now, all the spokes come off that hub, but whatever's at the center, that's what's, that's what's important. One thing is needful. Oh, listen, theology is vitally important, absolutely. But there's one thing that's needful. What is that? Spending time with the Lord. It's not just prayer, by the way. Spending time with the Lord, that means listening to him. And how does his voice come to us? Through his word, illuminated by the Holy Spirit that dwells within us. So a lot of people come to this passage and they just talk about prayer, prayer, prayer. Oh, th that's important, but prayer and fellowship with God, both ways. It's a two-way street. Now, we don't hear him audibly like uh, the charismatics would claim and things like that, and I'm okay with that because... Uh, I'd rather have the Word of God be my guide than what could be confusing emotions and contradictory signals that my own body could send me or my own mind. That would be a, a, a tough way to live. But one thing is needful. That, it's focus. It's focus. Say, man, I, I want to come out of this quarantine time or I want to come out of this stay-at-home time or I want to come out of this virus time having grown in an area well i can tell you right now there's one thing there's one thing that is super important it's a single focus spending time with the lord one thing is there's the word is is needful in other words it is the need right now you know what your greatest need is today your greatest need today is to spend time with the lord well, I'll get to it this week. It's your greatest need today. The urgency. Not just a stop and listen, right? The first word. Not just a focus. It's one thing that is needful. But it's the urgency. It's now. So many things in our lives, the, the, uh, uh, the statement has been said a bunch of different ways, but the urgent or the important many times can be sacrificed on the altar of the immediate. Right? What's important? How can we go a month without spending time with the Lord? It's because you didn't realize it was a need right now. Because you didn't realize it was a need today. You thought, hey, this is a good thing I need to do by Friday. Yeah, and it never got done. It is the need. What is the need in our families? What is the need in our lives? What is the need in our country? It's to spend time with Jesus. Listen, this world needs men and women. This world needs families that have spent time with Jesus so that that time that we've spent with him shows 
to others. It's not dry uh, head knowledge theology that we need more of. It's time with Jesus. Are you against theology? Of course not. Theology teaches me a lot of things about my God, but it doesn't replace getting to know my God. But then finally, one thing is what? Needful. You know the best thing you can do as a husband? Spend time with Jesus. You know what the best thing is you can do as a wife? Spend time with Jesus. You know what the best thing you can do as a high school student? Spend time with Jesus. You know what the best thing you can do as a grandparent? Spend time with Jesus. You know what the best thing you can do as a pastor, a teacher, whatever, to be the best that you can be? Spend time with Jesus. It's needful. There's been this big debate in our country over what is essential and what's not essential, right? <laughs> essential businesses versus non-essential businesses, right? That type of thing. And I, I understand what they meant by that in the originally. Unfortunately, you know, you put off an elective surgery long enough and now you're in trouble. That's essential. <laughs> but I'll tell you what's ultimately essential spending time with Jesus. Spending time with the Lord. That's what's essential. It's that one thing that is needful. How dare we think that we can accomplish anything of eternal value without the Lord being in it? It's, it's, it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. Are you trying to build kingdoms out of sand because you're doing it in the arm of the flesh. The arm of flesh will fail you. You dare not trust your own. You've got to spend time with Jesus. If we can come out of this time, this quarantine time, this virus time, whatever it might be, and having spent time with Jesus, oh friends, that will make all the difference. Dear Lord, I thank you for this time in your word. I pray that you would help us Help us to see the importance of spending time with you. It's so vitally important. Lord, I thank you for those who have watched this service, this uh, service that we've put together, uh, me and my family. I hope, Lord, that it would be an, an encouragement to people wherever they find themselves in these unique times. But they're not a surprise to you. Lord, help us to realize the one thing that is needful. Help us to sense the urgency of spending that time with you. And we'll give you the praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for uh, spending this time with us. I want to uh, thank um, uh, the, uh, uh, your pastor <laughs> for allowing us to do things this way. And Lord willing, we'll be able to visit with you in person in the not-too-distant future. Thanks so much.